All right, and welcome back to Better Understanding the Bible. I'm your host, Dallas, and we are starting a huge new uh, a new thing here. We finished up over at the podcast of uh, Challenging the Traditions of Men, and through those uh, discussions, we've kind of come to a, a point where we're going to take some time and develop those ideas here. We're going to take a little bit slower in the sense of... Uh, a lot of interesting ideas that needed to be addressed came up in it. So uh, Leif is going to join and continue forward. He was one of the speakers on uh, the podcast, Challenging the Traditions of Men. He's going to join me here, uh, brave enough to show his face on YouTube. So I want to thank you, Leif, for being here. I'm going to actually uh, introduce myself here in a little bit to kind of explain why it is that I find Genesis so fascinating, where I'm coming from, and then I'm going to get... Uh, you know your opinion and uh, where you're coming from and then what we'll do is we'll kind of go into some examples and open the door here for what we're going to do discussing this uh what is genesis you know there's a lot of ideas there's a lot of positions people are in you know the study of origins is not simple the bible's not a simple thing so we're going to continue our authentic look at a lot of these things and again i'm glad you're here Leith. so go ahead uh that everybody we finally see you uh, introduce yourself and for those who aren't familiar with you uh just a you know a couple minutes of what's your background where do you come from uh you know you'd be a christian your whole life this so that we kind of understand where you're at you know what is your origins position what is your eschatology position and then we can just go from there and uh dig this one out yeah thanks dallas again for having me just having so much fun with the podcast and all that work and stuff and i know that you're getting into some um different ways of presenting and uh, you're one of those guys that has a lot to offer as far as the way that you read and the way that you've been able to um pick apart verses and what these words are what they mean and so i'm i'm come from more of a student position um you know when i'm hanging out with dallas um i i, I still very much in that spot as i was raised um uh, you know in in the church and exposed to you know basically your typical southern baptist stuff which i think there's just a lot of cool stuff in there um and i and a lot of cool morality stuff that was learned there's also a lot of a lot of questions that built up <laughs> as if you get as uh, many of you can um probably agree with but a lot of questions came up and it didn't seem like a, a lot of people wanted to answer them and so when i did meet dallas and and a lot of these guys who like to study the Bible this way, I just got really excited. And so I'm about a year and a half, maybe a year and almost two years now, um, just studying, um, you know, this uh, covenant eschatology type stuff, um, this idea of, of um, you know, these, this, this kingdom and, 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 a, and a coming kingdom. So it's like, well, who are these people and what is the promise? And was there was a promise made, so was part of it taken care of was was all of it taken care of and so I kind of fall more into after studying for the last couple of years that more of a full preterist preterist uh spot I guess I would say and um so yeah again still in the more of a student learning position I'm kind of taking a back seat um as far as like you know as I'm more absorbing what's happening with this information and so I've been having a blast with it it's been a new, a lot of it has been really painful, to be honest, um, just as it challenged a lot of some of the strongest things that I would believed. Uh, a lot of those things were challenged and I had to really struggle through those. Um, I wouldn't say it's a bag struggle. It's, it was a struggle that I that I had to do because I wanted to. 
Um, so I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at that so far. I'm not a scholar. I'm not a, a student, uh, like a college person. I'm, I'm a, I'm a blue collar guy. Just, uh, you know, wanting to dig in more because I just, I, I have a little family and I want to be a, a leader in my family. And what does it look like to be a man, uh, before God these days? And so okay. it's great to look to the past, look at what, what we're seeing in scripture, who is God's character. And, you know, so I don't know, it's having a lot of fun Dallas and thanks again for, uh, for having me on. Well, I guess in what, no better way than by studying <laughs> man in scripture. So <laughs> that's probably the best route. Yeah. <laughs> so were you born and raised into uh, a religion? Like, uh, obviously, uh, uh, I do believe you, you come from Christianity, right? Like you're, yeah. Christian. Yeah. So were you born and raised into it? Yeah. Born and raised into it. Yes. And, uh, I think, um, when we were kids, my, my parents needed to get us into something cause it seemed like the, there was just a lot of brokenness and dis-ease within the family and in some ways and my mom was just so cool at trying to keep everything together um to create an environment to to raise three kids and i just think that it was just beautiful and it's like and i think one of the ways was let's get into a world where we can hang out with people who are in a situation where it's it's uh where where there's some morality and there's some structure and and a place for the kids to go and and so of course it's an attractive thing and um and i and did I you ever was... grow it did you say christian your whole life because there's that that seems to be a trend that once a lot yeah. of people born and raised into it i think it's you know, once they hit that later teenage and they get freedom all of a sudden they get out of the house and i don't have to go to church anymore how did you uh, go through that? Well, I did think that it was weird because I think about when I was, you know, 12, 13 and stuff, my dad would introduce me to people and say, this is my son, Leif. He loves the Lord. And and I always thought that that was very strange because it's like, wow, okay, so my dad's introducing me as a, as somebody who loves the Lord. And I'm like, well, if that's the case, then whatever I'm doing means that I love the Lord. And that, that's not necessarily anything to do with, you know, any kind of morality. So it, there's just a lot of language that's used. But, um, but yeah. And so I'm like, wow, this is, and then when you watch it, you know, your family fall apart, I figure, well, if my family was representing this religion, you know, and, and, and then all of a sudden they break apart and then everybody else in the church's families just all break apart as a child. That's what you're looking at. You're looking at what is the health of, of the people in this place? And so then of course, with that, then it caused me to go, man, there's something wrong here. And that's why I ditched it for a long time. I ended up going back because once it's in your blood, you find comfort and you find peace in it. You know what I mean? How long uh, apart did you go then? Like what kind of gap did you have? Oh, it was, it was probably, I don't know, just a, a couple, two or three years or whatever. But then there's this guilt that comes back and it's like, wow, you need to be part of this. And so then it's like, okay. And it was kind of like that, but then, you know, I ended up getting involved with music and things like that. So I was involved with the music part of, of what the church was offering. And then once you get into that world, and I know you know that too, Dallas, once you get into that musical world, they they will not let you go because you end up being an asset. <laughs> so so I was doing that for, for a lot of years and then um, just kind of ditched it again because, you know, just going into, I need to learn how to make a living and, and that kind of thing. But still, just still there's just still something about the, the bible that still a million questions and it's something that i could not leave behind and um and so now at this time um i'm involved with more of a house group setting 
for the last three years. And then two years ago, two, or about a year and a half to two years ago, that's when I ran into Dallas and what he was kind of um, looking into. And that's where I've been ever since. So a lot of things have been challenged for sure, but, but it's just, it, you've, um, some of the stuff that you've been studying and the way that you're presenting it has caused my brain to have to double back and re and try to realize and read, figure out what's a lot of this stuff says. And so that's why it's exciting to me. It's, it's like opening the Bible again for the first time. That's fantastic. You know, I really appreciate you uh, opening up and letting us uh, peer into the life of Leith to give us a little bit of better understanding of where you're coming from, your origins, where yours, how you see it, and uh, kind of where you're seeing it from. Mm -hmm. So as we go into this information, it might allow us to go, okay, well, you know, I, I understand a little bit why you might see it that way. So that's really mm -hmm. cool, and I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. But now, uh, we're going to leave uh, a little bit. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with me, you know, just very basic because we're going to I'm going to read a portion. The goal of this channel is to as I'm writing a book, which has been highly uh, asked for and taking the time to do it, I'm going to be going through uh, literally the book with you guys. And we're just going to put it out here. You can tell me if you like it, don't like it, concerns, no concerns, but more so. Uh, you'll understand why I'm doing this. But besides, you know, that uh, apart from it, I was born and raised in a world where God didn't exist. And until, you know, I think it was about the age of 18 or 19, you know, I turned and looked at my mom and said, you know, what do we believe? And she goes, well, you know, we believe God's real and all, but like, you know, I'm, when I'm not so busy, I'll get around to, you know, looking at some of that stuff. So that was, you know, my entire spiritual upbringing and then uh, i got into witchcraft and this kind of thing which opened the door to spirituality which then eventually led to a, a conversion through experience and uh just life hardships which brought about realities so by the time i was i do believe it was 27 28 was when i became someone who fully actually you know had some kind of idea and understanding and direction but when i was about 21 22 when i had the event where god entered into my life i had no bible understanding whatsoever i was in a position of uh witchcraft i had you know my uh all my equipment my robes all the stuff that you do an altar we cut a tree down a piece of a portion out of a cut down tree so we went through the whole thing we lived the life the whole thing and so I was in that position when I came, when God called to me and said it was my time. And it took me, you know, a good 25 years, you know, since that time almost to be in a position where I'm at. So I went from not knowing God completely to meeting God because he decided to tell me it was time to meet with him. And it's been taking me the entire time since that point to understand out what that means. And I still don't completely understand it, but it has given me a lot of different perspective concerning a lot of ideas, which, you know, some benefits are because I don't have an upraising like Leith did, I don't have uh, like a, some kind of devotion to certain doctrines that was never given to me. So I, in a benefit, you know, that was beneficial for that. But in the same way, as Leith was talking about, I didn't have that stability of life of being able to go to a place where they had moralities to teach you and world perspective and community and, you know, consequence, all these type of things. So the hardships that I went through as the awakening that took place after, unfortunately, uh, at that point, you know, that could have been missed. 
So there's a lot of benefits and all these kind of things. And at the end of the day, it's put me into a different perspective. So when it comes here to talking with uh, Leith and you guys about what's going on, I hope you keep that in mind as I do have a different base and uh, Leith has a different base. And whoever comes to join us in these conversations, that's what we like. Because if we were all the same trying to uh, figure these things out authentically, at the end of the day, that's not a good thing because we don't want groupthink. So uh I just want to give you one more opportunity before we get in here, Leith, uh, if you want to let us know uh, what is your position currently on Genesis? Genesis, um, well, you know, after going through the podcast with you, you know, even even before the podcast started, um, we were talking a little bit and um, the whole Genesis thing has been turned upside down. So I'm still at the position now where um, Genesis 1 is um, is more of like a the a, more of an idea of a prophecy type situation where um you have that prophecy that's kind of established almost like a, a coming of the coming of christ and so that's kind of what i'm seeing it as um and i can see why a lot of people don't but i think that's what the whole purpose of of you know having these discussions is so dallas has presented a lot of stuff that i'm still munching on and having a good time with so yeah awesome so then you're what I'm hearing from you is you're obviously not coming from the position of a creation of a physical universe or anything like that. Uh, yeah, absolutely not. I, I can't see it like that anymore. <laughs> I can't, I really can't. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is we both, uh, and you know, I just think instinctively in uh, our culture, uh, just historically, that is the knee jerk reaction to take is it's a creation event of uh, talking about the physical universe. However, it's not always been that way. Uh, right from the New Testament times, the first peoples talking about this that were the Greeks and these kind of things, they were metaphorical and mm. all these different ideas. Uh, the idea of physical creation there's not much early talk but you know all that really doesn't matter and when we kind of get into where we're going uh so i got my book just set up here to the side so if i'm just kind of drifting off looking it's just because i'm reading and i'm just going to get into this a little bit here to just explain kind of why i ended up changing my view and how this kind of goes and as we go through this uh this data gathered here just you know the point is what is this genesis thing saying what is going on here and uh this is why i ended up having to end up questioning some of these things like lee said himself you know he had the you know some pain in it because there's some unlearning to do so this is what started for me so uh introduction i guess it all started for me when i started seeing things in genesis chapter one that seemed to go far beyond just a creation message one of the most influential messages that emerged was when i discovered that jesus was written about by new testament authors in the language of genesis chapter one when it became apparent that this was an intentional choice made by the authors i was moved with fascination i started to see that not only did the New Testament authors duplicate these ideas, but they did so word for word, context for context, and after the pattern of the prophets, who were also duplicating this language of Genesis 1. My eyes came to realize the New Testament authors indeed copied these prophets, who themselves copied their words from the law in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The final understanding came when I saw even the law referred its language all the way back to Genesis 1. 
That's when I started reading the Bible by seeing Genesis as the foundation for the rest of the Bible's language usage. Genesis 1 language was used in writing a law used by the prophets and all the way to the pens of the New Testament authors. That's when I saw the motif of Jesus in Genesis used by the biblical writers. That's when it became apparent that the New Testament text spoke of by Jesus as though Jesus was the images and descriptions given in the creation of earth on day three. The New Testament authors were describing things in terms that correspond with the wording in Genesis. This created a large number of questions that I needed to answer and started me down the road that has ended up in this book. I knew there was more to the language used in the Bible, so I set out to find out what I figured was going to be just a few neat ideas. And what I wandered into was a bountiful garden of different fruits. It was this idea of Jesus in Genesis that spurred on many other thoughts and influences which helped me to move past questions and issues like Leith was talking about, right? Him growing up, there's all these questions and these things that just, and this is what got me was this is what started giving me answers to questions and such. So as I've always had regarding the Bible, and in the end, a lot of time, energy and wrestling with traditions, coming to terms with things that I previously thought were one way were challenged. And I ended up gaining a, what I consider to be a better understanding of how the Bible uses language. And that changed not only my literacy, but more importantly, my perspective of God. So once I realized some of these patterns, I set out to find out why, and the whole world for me changed. So this is what this is all about here. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I can share this seed that was planted in my mind in hopes that it might tickle some interest and be like salt, causing you to question and want answers and add the full flavor back into the Bible. Because when we look at Jesus being in Genesis, what we're about to look at this language cannot be a simple coincidence. So before we move on to what we're going to take a look at here, Leif, uh, did you have any comments about uh, these kind of things? I know I don't know if we've gotten directly involved in this, so I'm going to go into it in detail. So if you want to uh, pull out Genesis chapter 1, because that's what we're going to start at, and you can... Mm -hmm. uh, call hooey on it right away or we could see where uh <laughs> i like how you said uh in that uh, one section talking about your questions being like salt because sometimes questions are very salt can be a good thing or and it stings though sometimes too so it, it was a cool word that was used there i know that a lot of this stuff has come up and it's it does cut and it does sting a little bit it also can bring healing in a lot of ways too. So I don't know. Cool word, man. Good job on that one. Right on. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, when we move into this, then what we're going to do is we're going to zone in on day three. So for example, where, what we're going to do is we're going to examine, I'll just continue on here. Uh, day three in Genesis, we get the events surrounding the coming forth of the earth. Not a big thing. Like, I think everybody's pretty comfortable with this generically. God separates the waters, draws them into one place. He causes dry land to appear, and he calls this land the earth. Uh, the description of that land is what we're really actually going to pay attention to. Now, we're looking at specifically Genesis 1, 11 through 13. And this is what we find. It says, and God let, uh, said, let the earth bring forth grass 
the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb yielding seed after its kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose fruits, uh, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. I'm just reading from the King James Version, and I'm doing so simply because I find that the King James Version does a very good job of remaining true to the the language that was used in, in the Hebrew. It transfers really nicely where we see some words like uh, generation or seed being turned into like uh, descendants or offspring and these kind of things. So just so if you're listening and uh, wondering uh, for this stuff at the moment, it is King James, but I don't necessarily just say that's the one Bible. It just happens to be the one that we're looking at for this example. And and Dr Dallas, with that said, um, there, I know there's a lot of people that uh, also read the New King James Version as far as this kind of stuff. Do you, do you have anything to say about the differences between that, especially if we're just looking at Genesis language or... Well, the New, New King, King James, James is much closer to like uh, NASB and okay, gotcha. ESV. So just like them, I would put it into that same category of okay. you got to be careful because they do still sometimes change seed. And, and, that, and as we will go into, we will see that that word seed, if it got translated into the word offspring, it really completely changes uh, the meaning here. As uh, for one of the examples, as we compare to Abraham's seed, we'll see if that became offspring. Uh, keep that in mind because it will radically alter then the, the message that we're reading. So awesome. Uh, here we go. Just going to move this down. And we go. So a simple description does appear for us here on day three when we do read this. So first thing that ends up happening is we see the earth brings forth the first fruit tree. Second, that has a seed in itself. So that's really important. The earth is bringing forth a fruit tree and the fruit tree has a seed in itself. Then that seed that's in that fruit tree, it will produce its own kind. And this was done on the third day. So those are three uh, things we're pointing out that are really big. And the fourth big factor is this is happening on the third day. So we get a earth bringing forth a fruit tree. It has seed in itself and it produces its own kind. All right, let's keep reading because we have some interesting language here because let's compare that to the birthing of Jesus's new covenant kingdom. In Genesis 17, God establishes covenant with Abraham and promises to secure his future. This promise would be between God, Abraham, and a future descendant. Genesis 17, 7, and it says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to your seed after you. In the New Testament, Paul writes concerning this very promise. He asserts that Jesus is this one very seed. Paul tells us that the seed of Christ is also the believers of Jesus. The author John refers to the born again or believers who are born from above as also being imbued with God's seed. The seed of Abraham, this Jesus, has also passed the seed to those who are of his kind. Now, before we get into looking at those scriptures, did you have anything that you uh, wanted to add here, Leith? 
Not quite yet, brother. I'm just taking some uh, good notes on this. And, um, but yeah, as far as the Genesis one thing, it's, it is weird though, when to, to read the, the Genesis one take and, and see how in detail they went into making sure that it's of a kind, you know, um, just the whole image making things in its likeness type thing. Um, and that's really cool to really dig into those, those little points huh, Dallas. And that's really important that you're pointing that out. I, we're going to keep that thought in mind because what we're going to do is we're going to address that with a couple scriptures here. Okay. Uh, I keep pushing on the wrong side here. Okay. <laughs> so what we're going to do is go to Galatians 3.16. So uh, Galatians 3.16, we read, it says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham. So this is Paul writing. And it says, to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say and to seeds as as referring to many, but rather as to one and to your seed, that is Christ. So here Paul is equating the promise of the seed of Abraham is Christ. Galatians 3.29, it says, and if ye be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So now Jesus, he is the seed and those who are of him they have his seed in them. Now we're also going to read that in comparison to 1 John 3, 9, where it says, those who have been born of God do not sin because God's seed abides in them. So that's very important because here we have this idea of the seed of Abraham with the promises of God, and that seed is Jesus Christ, and that seed is found in his believers. So that's a very big idea, like you were talking about in that likeness. So it's very interesting language. Now, what we end up talking about here is a seed. Well, what is a seed? What do we do with seeds? You take a seed and you plant it in the earth. And after the right amount of time in the earth has passed, it is raised in newness of life. The seed becomes a tree of life, bearing, uh, producing fruit, which contains its seed within itself. So you take a seed, you plant it in the earth, the tree comes up, it produces fruit, and that fruit has the seed in it. Very awesome image, no problem with that. What's also interesting about that is on 1 Corinthians 15, 4, where it does say that he was buried he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures so let me read that again here because we have and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures first corinthians 15 20 it says so there's a 15 20 first corinthians but now christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who slept interesting so now we got this comparison of language and again in 1523 it says but each in his own order christ the first fruits and after those those who are at his coming so before i go any deeper into that i'm sure you have some interesting comments uh you'd like to make so uh go for it leith what are you hearing there yeah seed language um you got seeds it's almost like um, <clears throat> a seed has to experience death in in order for it to um, 
to grow, to become something and produce any kind of fruit. So you think about this Jesus picture and then back to Genesis 1.11, herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding seed after its kind. Um, and God's seeing that it's good. And so there's a goodness that comes from this fruit. A lot of good parallels there, Dallas. It's interesting stuff, right? Like if we take yep. this language and now we start stacking it up against that language, just like you did there in Genesis, yeah. we do see a lot of strikingly similar descriptions. Jesus was the seed which was planted in the earth for three days. days. Then he was raised in newness of life. Jesus, the first fruits with his followers who were after his kind, who mm. had his seed in them. It's an incredible ridiculous uh parallel so uh when we take a look at that i'm just going to continue on with what i'm reading uh from the book here john's gospel also gives us a picture of jesus as a vine so the bible isn't even done with paul here describing the seed and this idea of uh rebirth being planted in the ground now we have john going out of, of his way in his gospel the picture so we get uh john's gospel gives us a picture of jesus as a vine the picture of a tree or a vine that branches out and produces fruit is an ongoing motif of scripture uh taking place in scripture which has its beginnings with adam who is given access to a tree of life in the Garden of Eden. This motif continues immediately with Noah, who planted a vineyard and enjoyed the fruit of the vine. Jesus is written about telling a uh, parable rather concerning the kingdom of God and describes it as a vineyard. A tree of life is also referenced in Revelation 22, when the city of God is described as having a river flowing from the throne of God and feeds the tree of life. So keep in mind, Genesis, Galatians, state, uh, all those statements which this tree produces fruit from, with seed in it after its own kind, from the third day. And what do we end up uh, getting? We get this idea of a tree now, a vine from John. So what does this end up saying? We're going to go from John 15, 1, and we're going to read up to verse 8. So keep in mind all those things, right? Jesus, a seed planted in the earth, raised on the third day with his seed in him, with his followers after him, with his seed in them. And now we have John talking about him being the, John 15, 1, I am the true vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Why? Verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus is a tree. Okay, let's back this all up. Let's put this all together. Okay, this is, this is a big picture we're seeing. Genesis 1, from the earth, the first fruit tree 
producing fruit with seed in it after its kind on the third day. The New Testament, Jesus, the seed buried in the earth, raised the true vine, being the first fruits, producing fruit with his seed in it after his own kind, raised on the third day. Genesis 1.12, and the earth brought forth grass, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, on the third day. So I would have to say, this is not by accident again, which is what I started this off with. How can this language be coincidence? So now that I've tied a lot of these parallels, like, together here leaf and kind of really identified that what are you seeing and hearing in there because for me this was what made me realize genesis was way more than what i was giving it credit for because if this is what the new testament authors were reading and writing and going through then why am i not doing that yeah and i think that once you um well, for me, once I got past, I had to get over myself in believing that um, that Genesis 1 was about, um, you know, universal like creation or the creation of the universe or the literal earth globe itself. Um, and there's other reasons behind that. But this is one of the big ones, because why would it doesn't make sense why why uh, Genesis was would go into this kind of detail regarding seed and grass. Um <laughs> it, it just seems like it would have been if 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 writing was difficult and you needed to convey a message to a people you wouldn't want to use too many words and you've 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 taught us a lot about that dallas about when you're when you're using words especially back then you want to keep it to a minimum especially if you're spreading it to a, pe a lot of people with old language and well that's a good point in, because they were doing clay right they were scribing right? sanskrit onto clay they use the least amount of absolutely you're not just <laughs> talking about grandpa on his trip to yeah. the beach you know you're yeah and absolutely. he obviously wasn't teaching them how to like like teaching anybody how to farm i mean we're let the earth bring forth grass seed after its kind seed in itself it was so earth brought now grass get this. Like seed. you've got that in front of you right now right so yes do you have king james version by chance i'm i'm doing king's james right now you know king, check this king out james. genesis 112 i find this to be yeah. very interesting because so this is just a bit of fun conjecture okay but isn't it interesting how the original uh 1611 king james translators and even still to today and you can confirm this with king james mm -hmm. versions translators they chose the words of genesis day three saying after his kind so genesis 1 12 it says and the earth brought forth grass and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind which is interesting within itself i think hmm. that's conjecture i'm not going to say anything no that's one cool way or another because that's just very interesting then they still haven't taken that out as you brought up the new king james version and the Today, if you go and buy a King James Version, it still says his because oh, it's wow. a masculine association in the Hebrew. It's fascinating. Well, sometimes I like to look at Young's literal too, you know, just to play with that a little bit. And um, yeah, even that is is not saying that. What does it say in the Young's? Uh, the Young says, sake? whose seed is in itself. 
making fruit oh. after its kind. Oh, yeah, it goes to uh, its. Yeah. It goes to it likes to go to an it, it looks like. So I don't know, just kind of fun to look at that stuff though. Yeah, so now we keep continuing in my book, and that's the same idea. Yeah. I yeah. just setting all cool. fun aside with the King James interesting textual <laughs> choice. Uh, the message of Genesis 1 being duplicated in the writers of the apostles' language is clearly evident. Another compounding theme we see is creation language. We do see a duplicating of the language of creation being used to describe the events surrounding Jesus' new kingdom. Uh, staying with Paul and John, the two that we've uh, both seen describing the events so far surrounding Jesus, uh, using the language of day three creation, they further expand into creation language. So we're going to take a quick uh, reference to 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says, Therefore, uh, again, it was 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now, what's interesting about this is he's quoting Revelation. And I don't know if a lot of people uh, understand this, but we're going to read Revelation 21.21 and uh, not Revelation 21.21. We're going to change that to 21 verse 1. All right. And what we get going on here is... Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's an interesting set of language. Yeah. We just read in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And here we have the new heaven and the new earth, for the first one has passed away. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying that the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and God himself will be with them. And what do we see this being a reference to in verse four? It says he will wipe away every tear and he finishes that by saying for the former things have passed away. So what are the former things? It's the old heaven and the old earth. Well, that's what we're reading about in Genesis 1 is the heaven and the old the heavens and the earth. So here's a very interesting language duplication again that Paul is using, just like we saw with day three being the first fruits and such. We also have Paul saying that anyone in Christ is a new creation, just like we're watching in Genesis 1, a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Just like Revelation 21, John said, the old is past, the new has come, God is present with you. Exactly what happens with Adam when God is walking with him in the garden. So we cannot step away even from that example. We need to add that in because I do think that that's pertinent to adding more to that emphasis of Genesis 1's creation language and how it's not talking necessarily about the creation of the universe in the minds of how the authors of the New Testament are using it. Uh, these, the, what are you thinking there when we tie in that New Testament creation language as well, Leaf? Like, is that something that's going out of the bounds or is that adding to it as well in your mind? Well, I think so far in my understanding right now is that the, a lot of the, there's just uh, so many parallels with the way that New Testament authors, even though they're, it's written down in Greek, you know, and the Old Testament is mostly Hebrew. They're still using the same language. And th that part is what blew me away through a lot of the um, stuff we were doing in the podcast. Um, because 
we're talking about writings that are, you know, maybe a thousand or even 2000 years apart. Um, and, but still talking, using the same language. So that's just mind blowing. And it's something we can't ignore. So when you see seed, death seed, um, being planted and growth and fruit coming from it in Genesis. And then also uh, there's a ton of it in the old Testament, but then you see in the new Testament, it's like, are we supposed to ignore that, that the language is exactly the same? Yeah, so we I don't know if it's I don't know if it's smart that, uh, to do that. Yeah, <laughs> and that's it's neat, right? Because we're talking about creation, yeah, and that's what Genesis one is, right? So it's a very neat equating. So now I'm just gonna point out, like these are very introductory thoughts, and again, mm -hmm. going off my book here, and connections that are comparisons, and they do they're fascinating. They fascinated my mind. This is when I had to start all over again. I had to ask myself some questions. If the apostles were teaching these things in those terms and the recipients were to understand this text in those terms, and I've had no idea about this type of language usage, how many other places have I been inputting my own personal language usage? Because that's the, the apostles are obviously using it this way. Genesis used it this way. I hadn't been using it this way. Why wasn't I using it this way became the question. Uh, how does that, How do you reflect or relate even to that position that I found myself in? Yeah, no, I, I, we do it all the time. It's like I do it when I have conversations with people and I do it in my own thought process. I'll be reading and be like, oh, that means that. Skipping over the fact of, you know, it's like, who was this written to? And uh, when was it written? And, and all that kind of stuff. So I do, it is, it is a difficult thing though, to, to keep, to, to reset the brain on how to read so that we can ditch some of the presumptions and that kind of thing. Especially when it's, you know, in my opinion, I, I don't think this is that controversial. It seems to be yeah. pretty straightforward, but yeah. it's level of impact. I do think is quite substantial because I think the point I made in that, uh, that 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 little uh part there is very prominent like the, the apostles are speaking this language to a people who understood it they didn't write it so that they had to figure it out that would have become a useless letter the people knew what he meant so like you're saying and i think that's a great point is this theme this motif of language no matter even if their culture did change and input differently they knew what this meant so i think it's very important for us to keep that in our minds that these people knew what paul meant when he read it wrote it because otherwise he wouldn't have written it it'd be that's a really good point um dallas how you say that when you we have to, when we remember that this is a letter it's a very personal thing it's something they're speaking in language that they would normally speak on an everyday basis to each other you know <laughs> so um and so yeah it, it would make sense for them to that to think that um any language that's used in a letter is something that the receiver should very much understand and not have to break apart and study <laughs> to, and to put puzzle pieces together is what I'm saying. Well, interestingly, like, like you're saying there. So for instance, here's one of those things that we just input our, and I go into an example into the next tier of our own. Uh, we just impute it. We just, mm. okay. Yeah. We move on. So for example, uh, I'm going to now move into uh, one first Corinthians 15, four. So, for instance, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 4, 
that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's a very important sentence. Why? Because we need to ask, where does this appear in scripture? Where is there a prophecy concerning Messiah needing to be buried in the earth, raised from the earth on the third day? Many have done in-depth research into what is this Paul scriptural reference referring to. The overall consensus has found this specific quote is not found in the Old Testament as we have it. With what's also just as fascinating is the question of where did Paul get this information from then? So if the conglomerate of people, and thanks to things like uh, computers, we have probably the best cross-reference system in the history of the world right now for understanding where these words appear. There is not a place in the Bible where it says that the Messiah must die, be put in the earth, raised on the third day. It doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. Now, what's interesting, though, is in Luke 24, 44, we get a very interesting statement. So we're going to jump over to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to read chapter 24, verse 44 and 45, where what we find is, uh, and this is Jesus speaking, and he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Now all things which are written about me in the law and the prophets and uh, Moses and the law of prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. Huh. Well, that's the, the gospel of Luke claims to have received the teachings contained within itself by the apostles, the eyewitnesses from the beginning. So the claim in Luke is that the apostles learned of the third day resurrection by Jesus's teachings and handed down those teachings and Luke wrote it out is possibly how Paul received this tradition as well. And we read in Luke 1, 1, where it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, and it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely from the time that passed, to write an orderly account for you, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So we do have in the book of Luke, him saying, I took the teachings that we have, that Jesus taught, that were handed down by the apostles. So the train of transmission is Jesus told the apostles and Luke wrote it down. That's what we have so far. Well, what's interesting is uh, if we compare that to what Paul says, it's interesting to note that Paul himself claims the source for the scripture had been given to him as well. So, but unfortunately, he uh, doesn't tell us where he got his source. So now we're going to go back one verse and we're going to read 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 and compare what Paul says about how he got the information. And it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So Paul, someone gave it this mm. message to Paul. And what did he receive? 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Jesus's teachings made it to Paul and Paul is now repeating these teachings. What's interesting then is the wordings, however, do suggest a common source. If the apostles did hand down Jesus's provided information, then Jesus is claiming the source is the Old Testament, according to Luke 24, 44, because it said the law, the prophets, and the Psalms are what was being fulfilled. So that's the source for the scriptural reference that tells the Messiah must be buried and raised on the third day, is the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. So where did Jesus get it? So when we take a look at this, in the gospel according to Matthew, Jesus is found in a similar context, caught in exchange with some Pharisees associated with the issue of the three days of death. This text gives us a look uh, at the mind of Jesus and how he uses scripture to establish his points. This is going to be very important for us. Why? Because we just heard Jesus say that it was the law, prophets, and Psalms that told about this, and now he's teaching that to his apostles. And here we have this interesting text. So, uh, and how Jesus teaches the Bible. This is an example of Jesus using a literary device known as a type. A type is a specific pattern or behavior or characteristic that is found within a particular culture or time period. When being asked to demonstrate his miraculous power before the Pharisees, Jesus uses a type that has been described in the book of Jonah, a prophet of the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus uses this type of Jonah who was said to have spent three days and nights in the belly of a fish, analogous to Jesus's upcoming resurrection. In Matthew 12, 38, it reads, and then we will also read, so Matthew 12, 38 through 40. And it reads, then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and an adulterous generation craves for a sign. Yet no sign will be given to it, but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, what's interesting about this, Jesus does not claim Jonah is a messianic prophecy, foretelling the death and resurrection. That's not in there. Jesus makes a comparison and similarity. Mm. The scribes and Pharisees wanted to test Jesus, but Jesus told them, as it was with Jonah, a prophet sent by God to Nineveh, so that Nineveh should change their wicked ways on the way the prophet ended up in a belly of the beast for three days and nights. The type works in a few of the crossovers of the ministry of Jonah, and those elements Jesus uses to present some of this information about the third day he talked about within those scriptures. However, most of the story of Jonah does not cross over with Jesus's type usage. Jonah refuses God, ran and tried to hide from God, and God punished Jonah by casting him into the belly of the fish. Jesus did not end up needing to repent to get freed from punishment, and Jesus did not get mad becoming displeased when the city repented. 
Jesus did, however, use similarities of the sign of a prophet coming to bring a message of repentance, but that prophet ends up three days in the earth, then is freed. Outside of this, there is no mention being associated with the burial, resurrection being associated with three days. So how can this be the best argument Jesus had to present to convince people he was the Messiah? Most of the type wasn't accurate to Jesus presenting a messianic image. However, in Genesis 1, 11 through 13, it does say, from the earth, the first fruit tree producing fruit with seed in it after its kind was raised on the third day. Mm. And Jesus in the New Testament is said, Jesus, the seed in the earth, raised by the true vine, the first fruits, producing fruit with Jesus' seed in it after its own kind, raised on the third day. Now let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 4 again. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to present that the concept of reading Genesis first as the foundation of the language of the Bible as the context of covenant language, and it is consistently spoken of from Genesis to Revelation, and it is the foundation of Scripture interpreting Scripture. And as we can see, there is no other place, no other place that the Bible says that the Messiah must be in the earth for three days and then be raised up in newness of life. Nowhere except Genesis 1. So I'm going to finish this off before I hand it back over here to you, Leith, by saying uh, my hope wasn't to prove anything in this writing, but rather explain why I started looking at Genesis. Learning to see patterns, word usage, Bible idioms, and making the literature from the original audience a priority was a real turning point in my growth. My greatest contribution I can give to the pool of us is passing on this information and hopefully help people to not have to repeat this work, but they can continue to share the powerful and wonderful story of God's covenant people by adding to this work, growing it and chopping down the withered branches within it, that this is where it, this is just where it all began for me. This is where it should begin for anyone who wants to take a serious look at the Bible in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So for me, and now I see all already a couple places I think I need to expand on to get a couple of these points just solidified. But I think my message did come across there pretty well, to be honest. I want to ask you now, as I kind of summarize that up there, does that image of Jesus in Genesis reinforce, as I summarize there, the importance of Scripture interpreting Scripture. Let the Bible, how the authors use it, interpret it for us and how they want us to perceive these things. Can you see why I would have had to start taking that a lot more seriously as opposed to looking for some kind of new way to read it, get some kind of fancy ideas and all this? But there is a very legitimate established you know reason and i think it's actually pretty clear i don't think this is something fringe or weird it's just not openly talked about so i think hopefully what i've done here is presented it well enough and now i'm going to hand this to you and say 
is it coming through clear? Is it something that is a point? Is this something that maybe was cool for me that, you know, because this happens to a lot of people where it's cool for the person, but really not for anybody else. Is that an event for me? How are you seeing this, Leaf? Uh, what do you think of this introduction to getting this idea rolling and overall yeah. this kind of this message? Where are you at with this whole idea of Jesus and Genesis and uh, how does that sit with you? Well, you gave us some examples in the beginning, like, um, you know, seed language and um, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, but yeah, that, the, that when you did, when you brought up the, uh, the Paul in first Corinthians, there's just certain things in scripture that, that we've read a million times that it's like, why was that there? And that's, that part just blows me away. That's the one that just stuck out to me the most tonight. Which one specifically? <laughs> uh, were you was consider? just, was the, uh, the first Corinthians 15, three and four. Um, when Paul's writing stuff, like according to the scriptures and we aren't able to find those things anywhere else because, you know, new Testament authors, always referenced old testament prophecy in order to they didn't create their new prophecy is what i'm saying as far as i know so far they didn't create new prophecy new new testament authors didn't create new prophecies they were always referring to old so when i see paul writing i delivered to you first of all that i've received how christ did died for sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures it's another one of those verses i read over a billion times and when and so i'm just glad that uh you took some time to dive into that where else but genesis 1 is it talked about in the old testament because if paul's going to well, say it really jumps out with it when we do compare that to that luke 24 44 uh -huh. right you're going to say these are my words jesus speaking so luke makes this the mouth of jesus these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was mm. still with you, that all things which are written about me where in the law of Moses, yeah, it's the just prophets and the Psalms. And what does he say in verse 45? Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus, it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. So Jesus is saying that this is apparent if you read the law of moses so that's the torah the first five books we have the prophets everyone understands i hope to some degree and the psalms so where in the psalms where in the prophets and where in the law of moses does it show the three days in the dirt and then the resurrection and it doesn't appear so that's a really big yeah. deal isn't it's it it's a problem it's a big deal it's a big problem or it's not a big problem <laughs> maybe it's not as big as problem as we think <laughs> well, and then the, um, but you know we, like because they didn't have so correct me if i'm wrong dallas but if 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 a new testament writer says says that something's written in the scriptures like you just said a second ago that that doesn't mean the scriptures that we have right it means the torah it means what would they were what they were limited to back then as far as what they had well, actually, they actually written had, down they had actual books so depending on which which one you reference so for example they would not call uh the talmud scripture they wouldn't call that so like when it says according to the scriptures 
the Talmud would never be allowed into that. It had its own name and purpose. Okay. So just like uh, the Torah, the law, we see here in uh, it, how it was separated by Luke, right? Like the, they all had their own names. They all had their own sections. And so that's what, why, why didn't Jesus just say the Old Testament? Because yeah. they didn't have the Old Testament. They had the Torah the law they had the prophets they had the song they had the wisdom literature they had the psalms all that there's a bunch of different categories so this is very specific for us which is nice because the torah that jesus would have had to be able to relate this message out of is the Mo book of moses it's the torah we have so and even when we compare the Pentateuch, the not the pentateuch rather but uh the Septuagint, which was the Greek version, it's still not available. So even in the complete Greek, so this isn't a cut and paste like we see hundreds, literally hundreds of times throughout the New Testament where it is just cut and paste. And sometimes depending on the Hebrew and the Greek, sometimes the words are slightly different, but we know exactly where it's coming from. Nowhere, nowhere in the Old Testament does it say that he will be uh in mm. the ground for three days and raised according to the scriptures so i think that's a very big point and i've yet to meet anybody who can find that and like i said you jump online they're very confident online that it's not in there and these are like uh, educational like uh harvard has a, a write-up on it and these kind of things so obviously scholarship and uh, uh what do you call it? critical uh i can't remember off the top of my head but oh literary scholars they would have torn this apart to find it because it's a big deal because how many times do we read directly as from the scriptures and then we have to go back to those scriptures we read in context all over to be able to understand why they would refer to that why does this specifically not exist except in genesis 1. Yeah, then we'll yeah. compare it to that description because like between paul and john now let me say this to you uh-huh Jesus is the seed. Okay, that's day three. Out of the, he was planted in the earth. He was raised the true vine, which is a parallel to the tree. He was the first fruits. Genesis 1 was the first fruit tree was produced, producing fruit with its seed in it, just as the fruit tree is the seed in it on the third day. Like that's word for word concept that Paul and John put forward. So to me, this isn't slightly. This is exactly it. And I can't understand how, if the apostles are using this language, that it would be responsible for us not to consider using it in that same breath. So where are you now, kind of? I'm calling this, for anybody listening, so just for a comfortable term, it's covenant language. This is the law. This is Genesis 1. This is the Torah, literally. And as a result of that, it falls into that category in which Jesus said he got his information and his teachings from. And this seems to be exactly what they're teaching. This covenant language seems to be pretty clear. Where are you at with this uh, for Leith? Like, is this enough to convince you that we need to really, really, really think hard about how the New Testament and the Bible in general is using this type of language? Yeah, I mean, so so if I just take, you know, because I haven't tried to dive in to find out any place that it says this specifically, um, planted, rising, death, 
rising again on a third day specifically i haven't even looked at it myself in the old testament so but as far as if if what you're saying is true that you have looked and that a lot of people have looked and haven't figured it out <laughs> i mean i could take that at face value or i'm gonna have to spend the next week trying to find it myself but let's just assume that that this that those things aren't listed um uh, well, that, our, that's so for your own uh, understanding. That's yeah. why I went into the uh, Jonah uh, example, because that's yeah. the only thing that anybody says that's even kind of close. Close to it. Right. Yeah. That, that kind of language. And so, and, and so when you have Genesis being the closest thing out of everything, and we're not talking about some random New Testament authors that we don't really care about. We're talking about John and Paul. They're using this language. This is these are guys that you know. In when I was growing up in in the Christian church or Baptist or whatever church, these guys are like numero uno freaking dudes that you want to be listening to. So when they say something, like you said, if they say something, we got to find out why. And and if they did say it, then what are they referring to? So very Absolutely. very interesting. So what the whole point of going over this information yeah. to introduce uh, what we're going to be doing as uh, Leith is kind of signed on here for some of this long term and uh, on the podcast, we never got into this kind of uh, into this topic at all. So I'm just going to give you the floor for one second to just any opinion on what I've presented here instead of just kind of talking about it in the vein, I'm trying to put it forward what's your just general opinion on this stuff genesis one and that word usage we're finding in the new testament um genesis one is has it seems like genesis one has separated itself from like the the start of adam's story it just seems the way that it's written a lot different than than the rest of anything else so so that has sparked interest in my brain and 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 it was a lot of what you're points that you've brought up in the past with different studies that got my brain thinking that we need to treat Genesis one a lot different. Um, and, and, um, and really shine light on it. So, um, I don't know. I'm just excited about this. And, um, I got some notes that I took down and I'm super pumped about, um, about looking more into this, but, uh, That's good you're taking yeah. notes because that means it's got the, the thinker taking a little. Yeah, I got to take notes on stuff that that looks crazy to me, stuff that sounds shady. I think that we should always be doing that. And I know, but that's like your number one thing. That's why I, I've been uh, so involved with kind of the, the projects that you're in. I want to be involved with them because, because um, you know, I double back on this stuff and um, to see if Dallas is full of crap. But um, <laughs> So this doesn't but, uh, seem weird then? You can see No, it doesn't seem weird to me at all. No, absolutely not. Because, no. yeah, because I think the parallel does seem pretty straightforward, and that's what just got me going. Yeah. What I think is weird is how I that how I glazed over this. How many times have we read this? How many times have Christians read over thirst, you know, um, first Corinthians 15, 3 4, 4, or the Luke or the Luke version or the Luke um, passage? How many times have we passed over that and not brought up? He didn't have to write according to the scriptures in these verses. He didn't have to. But he did, and so that it poses a problem. We need, and it's like, it's a big deal. And it would tend to start to show that this was a communal thing, right? Because it seems like Paul was reading Luke, 
quoting from Luke there. Oh, then we right. also see it seems like Paul was also reading Revelation because he was quoting Revelation 21. So this message seems to be communal. It doesn't seem to be like one author had this message and another one. Oh. It seems to be the general message. And like we said, he wrote this to a people who would understand it in that manner. So, yeah, I hopefully uh, for the everybody can go along this journey. This uh, first uh, little bit of can of worms that we're cracking open here has uh, wet your whistle. I know that I'll at least smiling a little bit. I love this stuff. I think this is uh, this is the most exciting stuff in the world because as Leith brought up, you know, there was, you know, always some kind of confusions, you know, this kind of for me, the same. This is what's bringing answers and not in a egotistical making me feel proud way but what's so neat about these answers is the rest and relaxation it brings it just you settle in the stress when it's gone and you're just like okay now i'm ready to take on the next thing let's do this because i'm confident <laughs> and i understand that there's a reason and if the people in the first century could figure this stuff out i'm pretty sure we can too we're just gonna have to do it a lot slower take it step by step and I confidently can say to you uh, that this whole Jesus and Genesis concept is just the very, very basic introductory to get us going into the idea that, you know, there's something there and we need to know what it is. Mm -hmm. Hopefully this uh, episode, guys, I want to thank you so much, Lee, for taking this time and I look forward to the next one where we can start looking more into, we're going to be starting with the origins of Adam. Where is Adam? Where was he created? What was he surrounded in? If the universe of Genesis 1 is being used differently by the authors here we saw in the New Testament, and we take some of those thoughts backwards into Adam, uh, what are we going to find? Because that's the whole thing. If we've been inserting our paradigm and our interpretations into these things, you know, we're going to have to set the whole thing aside. And that's what we're going to start in the next episodes is dealing with those things. So appreciate your time, Lee. And uh, next episode, we'll you know, crack this thing wide open. So thank you, everybody. And I just want to say wherever you are, I hope this finds you well. And God bless. Peace.